Hi, my name is Susan. I've been arrested 32 times just for listening to people talk with each other. The problem was I used to hide in the bushes outside the windows of people's homes to enjoy listening to strangers talk to each other. It's just something I like to do. I get bored and lonely sometimes, you know. Hey, Susan, don't do all that. There's another way to enjoy random conversations? Now, thanks to the podcast show, I can enjoy listening to conversations with strangers and learn something new every week. No more listening outside the window just to enjoy a good conversation. Tune in weekly on Wednesdays and subscribe for updates on your favorite platform to the Toddcast show and help our podcast family continue to grow and share around the world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Toddcast show. My name is Todd Murat, your host, and I'm so excited to be here with all of you. The Toddcast show is dedicated to exploring the human condition through conversation with strangers. We explore the positive, interesting, and oftentimes shocking side of human nature. In each episode of the Toddcast show, I talk with strangers in a down-to-earth, old-school, and heartfelt way about their life. Nothing is ever scripted, everything is spontaneous, positive, and we never discuss politics. You won't know what to expect next. Join in the conversation to laugh, love, learn, and grow with others around the planet. Who will I call next? Tune in to find out every Wednesday at midnight Pacific or for playback anytime on your favorite podcast listening platform. And stay connected with us at ToddCastShow.com. Hi, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Toddcast Show. Today, we're joined by our guest, Rachel Astarte. Good morning, Rachel. How are you today? Good morning, Todd. I'm well. Thank you for having me. Awesome. I'm really glad that you're here, and I'm looking forward to sharing together. Uh, May I ask where you're calling from? I am calling from Rockland County, New York, just out of New York, uh, outside of New York City. Okay, cool. What's it like there today? Is it good weather? It's cold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's gray and cold at the moment, and we had a little okay. rain earlier, so it's perfect for uh, the beginning of, or, or yeah, the the early days of fall. Totally. Very excited about it myself. It got so hot here. I'm a fairly new resident to the state of Nevada, and uh, <laughs> having come from Arizona, um, one would think the heat would be no problem, right? But uh, oh my gosh, it got really hot yeah. here this summer, so I'm so glad it's finally cooling down. It's cold here too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good, good. That is awesome. And were you born there, or where were you born? I was actually born in DeKalb, Illinois, and uh, lived there for all of six weeks or so before my parents moved to Western New York. So I am a lifelong New Yorker, pretty much. Um, yeah, grew up outside of Rochester, New York, sort of northwest of Rochester. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So it, that's your hometown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that area. Mm-hmm. Very nice. And then it, as soon as I graduated from university, I immediately moved to New York City because that's where I wanted to be. So I lived there for about uh, a total of about 22 years. Um, 
before moving out to Rockland County, but I had a few forays into uh, New Mexico and Boston and, and um, a couple places abroad. Right on. Wow. That's cool. You know, for me, it was really weird. I, I lived in upstate New York for a little while in a town called Salt Point, which is north of Poughkeepsie, about 60 miles, I believe. Uh-huh. And, uh, man, I'll tell you what, like, uh, when I drove down to the city, we went down there for a UFO convention. I was with a friend of mine, <laughs> and uh, we drove down there. I've never been so terrified in my life. Like, it was just too much for me. I couldn't I couldn't adapt. How, how do you grow into that, just out of curiosity? Like, is it a mindset? Is it just, I guess it's just like anything else. You just get used to things, but... How does that work in your mind? Like, it's just such a busy place and all that, especially as a younger person kind of getting used to all that. Was that just the way it was or did you have to adjust? Upstate or New York City? Oh, New York City, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I I love New York City. I I feel like it's definitely one of my, uh, it's where I feel the most at home besides New Mexico. That's a different thing. It's like this, New York City is my 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 heart and and new mexico is my spirit you know and um but yeah that the energy of the city as a as an artist because that's how i started my life um was really really helpful and i love i'm a i'm an introvert so why would i move to such a crowded place but um i there's a real sense of being alone in a crowd it's like you there's an there's an energy about New Yorkers too that is so um, it's first of all the diversity is incredible and and then even though there are I think there are over 300 languages spoken in New York City alone and and people of course the immigrants coming through which is wonderful and having all this culture around you there's there's so much life and and the city itself is constantly changing. It's like being in the middle of a, a living being. And no matter where people are from in the city, you're all New Yorkers, you know, and, and that is such a beautiful unifying feeling. And the history too is also what I love about it. So the while it's very, uh, there's a lot of energy and there's a lot of noise, you get used to it and, and you become part of it in a way. Now, Having said that, I also certainly love complete solitude and being out in the country and all that kind of stuff. So, but, um, but yeah, it, it was, you know, I, when I first moved there, I was 21. So all the energy was something I really loved. It did, didn't take a lot of getting used to. Wow. That's crazy. Um, and you mentioned something interesting, feeling alone in a crowd or alone amongst people. What's that like? Well, I, I at least as far as my experience with New York was, um, everybody in New York City is there for a reason. They have their own path, whatever that is. And people are also predominantly very accepting of a lot of different stuff, you know. So if you're walking down 23rd Street and somebody's coming up and they have a pink wig on, or, you know, a top hat, you're like, all right, cool. You know, <laughs> nobody, nobody really will look at you twice because it's New York, you know? And so you could, the alone part of it is you can be exactly who you are, even though you're in a crowd full of people, because there's, it's just this sort of unwritten rule that New Yorkers can be ex as expressive as they want to be. Or eccentric. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And that's a beautiful thing. I agree. And I had a little experience um, when COVID first hit, where uh, I was working for a company that was doing the testing center, the COVID testing center setup thing. And we basically called um, people in the city to help them, you know, go get tested and schedule appointments with a local testing center near them and all that stuff. And, um, you know, I got to admit, like, uh, living in the area and all that was definitely not for me. Mm -hmm. But when I experienced this um, phone call thing with the people there, it was really amazing to me. The thing that stuck out the most was that people, all of them that uh, didn't show up for their tests, I would always have to call them back and, you know, say, hey, I saw that you didn't make your test. I'd like to schedule another one. And by the way, why didn't you go? And uh, every single person that I asked that question to that answered it, told me that they didn't want to take a test away from somebody else who might need it more than they did. Mm -hmm. And I was really touched by that, to be honest. Yeah. And, you know, that really that spoke, that spoke to my heart, you know, and, um, these people, you know, jammed up together and all so crowded and everything. It's like, they were still concerned about their neighbors and people they didn't know. And, you know, that really said something to me and it really kind of redefined in my mind, you know, the spirit of New York city and, you know, the love that people have for one another there and all that. But, uh, yeah, I can't imagine dealing with the traffic and stuff yeah. like that. You know, having 10 different options for pizza within a six block <laughs> radius, that sounds great. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And that's, that's one thing, like I never had a car there. And so it makes it like, I, I barely even took public transportation because I love to walk everywhere. Well, so you know, I having a car in the city is insanity to me. I can't understand why people do it. But um, but yeah, so for for over a couple decades, I didn't uh, didn't have a vehicle and didn't need one. And it was fantastic. You know, wild, wild. Yeah, I can't imagine not having a car, but I also can't imagine what it's like to live someplace where you wouldn't need one. <laughs> right, right. You know. Um, so just kind of digging back a little bit further, uh, I was wondering if you could share a memory with us that would be the earliest memory of your life in whatever capacity you'd like to share, good, bad, or otherwise. But what's the very earliest thing that you can remember in your existence? Well, um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think. Well, I, I think there, there are, if I really, really go far back. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I do remember very, very, um, a lot of fun having, you know, growing up in, in upstate, but the very first house that we lived in was in, um, actually it's a college town, uh, it's Brockport, New York. They have a SUNY school there <laughs> and, um, we had a little house on main street and I remember, um, I actually remember sitting in my high chair and my, now this is going to sound funny. I am a, a pretty much a lifelong vegetarian. I started, I became vegetarian at 16, but I have a distinct oh. memory of my mother giving me little tiny cut up pieces of steak. And I was in a high chair and she was, and all I did with these pieces of steak that would suck the blood out of them and just spit the rest of it out. <laughs> oh, wow. So, so I had, I just wouldn't even bother chewing the meat itself. I would just 
take what I wanted from it. And, and maybe that's a metaphor. Uh, but uh, I do have a distinct memory of that. And um, it's funny that I was trying to think, what is my earliest memory? Um, I'm not sure that's my absolutely earliest, but I know that I was I was a baby. Um, and so, it's, so uh, it's a funny memory to think of. What a trip, and we share something in common. Um, I'm just kind of curious, actually, um, about your vegetarianism. I became a vegetarian when I was 16 as well. And uh, for me, it was being exposed to the meat production process and yeah. just having it, you know, I had no awareness. I always went to the grocery store looking at the little packages and it never occurred to me that those were live animals. Right. <laughs> what did it for you, just out of curiosity? Um, there were a couple things. So, um, so this was the 70s. Um, my father was a, was a university professor. He taught poetry and literature and at the SUNY school at Brockport and um, you know didn't have all you know wasn't great pay so what he would do is this is a long way around answering the question so bear with me um, <laughs> but over the over the summer he would work on a local pig farm and he would get paid in a side of beef that would be cut up and we would keep it in the downstairs freezer and um, and I remember one evening at dinner, my mom had made hamburgers with some of this meat. And I asked where it came from. And she said, oh, it's, it's cow. And I was like, wait a minute, wait, wait. <laughs> it's a cow? <laughs> like a moo cow? Like it was once alive and it had to die? And she said, yeah. And I didn't want to eat it anymore. I must have been about, I don't know, eight or nine. And she said, um, I said, well, I... I I can't, I can't, I love cows. I can't possibly eat this. And she said, well, and the reason I point out that it was the seventies was because vegetarianism was becoming like a thing among the latent hippies and everything. And younger and younger people were becoming vegetarians. So she told me, you can be a vegetarian if you want, but not till you're 16. And so I had to wait until I turned 16. I was sort of, um, you know, following my mother's nutritional advice, um, I suppose the idea was that I needed red meat in order to grow properly. Um, but yeah, so when I turned 16, my first boyfriend um, was vegetarian. And so that made it really easy <laughs> you know, yeah. to say, let's do this together, you know. Um, yeah. And so, and I, I stuck with it. Uh, I don't think he he's still and we're still in touch. I don't think he um, is vegetarian anymore. In fact, I'm pretty sure he isn't. But I stuck with it. I stuck with it. I was even vegan for a while, but I was a bad vegan because I love butter and honey. But um, but I'm predominantly, you know, organic, natural foods still. But yeah, no, no meat. Um, That's cool. Yeah, it changed for me in college. Um, I made it all the way until you know, two years in almost, and uh, I had a girlfriend at the time, and she's like, okay, she's like, you're going to eat some chicken, and you're going to like it. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? And she goes, yeah, this this limited diet thing is no fun, and we would go out on dates to restaurants and things like that, and of course, when I cooked things, it was uh, pretty hippie-ish, if you will, and all that, and she got tired of it, I guess, and she's like, you're going to try this lemon chicken, and you're going to, you're going to, you're going to like it. I know you will. And I, it took a while of convincing, but she finally got me to do it. And I'm really glad I did because 
it opened the door back up to being able to eat normally because I spent, you know, a pretty good amount of time, you know, not eating anything and, uh, you know, no animals or anything like that. And mm -hmm. it was, it was nice, you know, it, it, it's just one of those things, I guess. And I don't eat any other animals personally, but you know, it's, it's hard, you know, it's really hard like to do the vegetarian thing completely and, you know, to maintain proper health and balance and nutrition and all that stuff, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. so for me, it was good to shift back, but God bless you. That's good. Way to stick with it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really it is what your body wants. And I think that that's important to listen to to your body, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and so having said that, there are times that my body wants a good piece of fish and I will let myself do that. And I say my prayer of thanks to the fish and and um, and then, you know, but I know that that's because for whatever reason. My body is craving that. Now, it so happens that since I was 16, I have never once craved uh, red meat again. So there we are. You know what I mean? People yeah. are different. Yeah, me too. I'm 51 now, and I haven't had a piece of red meat or any type of beef. I think once I might have accidentally eaten something, but mm -hmm. I haven't touched that stuff in all these years since uh, since I was 16, and I will never touch it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ugh. Yeah, it's just better that way. Poor cows. Once you get a look at a cow up close and personal, <laughs> it's really hard to want to eat them, you know? And they are wonderful. Yeah, they are. All animals are in, in a lot yeah. of ways. Even for me, like fish, I've never liked fish personally. Um, so it kind of worked out. Lobster, hated it. The only thing I liked yeah. is my mom used to make salmon patties that were mm. really, really good. I probably liked the tartar sauce even more than the salmon itself. <laughs> You know, but like whatever it was, that was the only type of fish and all that. But like I, I was a deep water scuba diver for a number of years and um, it was hard, you know, again, you know, there's just something about relating to a living creature for me and it just kind of takes it off of the menu. Yeah. And I can't look at chickens. I, I, I got to watch it because my psychology is kind of weird. Like if I if I think about or look at chickens too much, it'll it'll ruin that again. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I really appreciate the the indigenous people of 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 the Americas and the way that if they are going to fell an animal for for whatever purpose, for food, for clothing, for other items they they do it with reverence they do it with respect and they use as much of the animal as they can and they return any unused parts to the place where the animal was felled which is uh the most respectful way i can think of of honoring the interconnectedness of of all beings you know and when you if when that is your food source um then that's what it is and you need to provide for your family but best to do it in a respectful way i mean i'll i'll also give thanks before i eat my tofu or my salad or my steamed veg or whatever because that's still life that was given up for me you know way to look that's a really cool way to look at it um and speaking of interconnectedness did you grow up with siblings I did, yeah. I have an older sister and a younger sister, so not surprisingly, I'm <laughs> because I'm I'm an ultimate middle child. Um, <laughs> I'm the middle kid, yeah. So I had um, two sisters, yeah. I have two sisters. Very cool, very cool. And y'all stay in touch. Yeah, 
Yeah, my uh, my older sister still lives upstate where my mom is. My father passed away in 2001, and my younger sister is in Connecticut. Okay. What's my next question, but I'm sorry for your loss. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah. It, yeah, that was a hard one. Yes, definitely. Um, losing parents, uh, anybody really, is, is very difficult, but I think especially parents, you know, that's and grandparents, of course. Yeah. Um, difficult, difficult. Um, so what was it like growing up as a, as a small child? And if you could kind of give us a picture of what your life looked like um, from the earliest, you know, point of your recollections, just kind of going through the years of uh, becoming a, a young person and all that, what was that like in that area with your family and all that? What were the dynamics like? And could you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, sure. So, yeah, I, I gave you the, the up to about the age of two, which was, you know, we came from Illinois and um, mm -hmm. came to upstate. And then when I was about, I guess it was two or three, we um, we moved even to a more rural place in in upstate New York, uh, which is almost right on Lake Ontario. So I, I basically say we're on the U.S. side of Canada. We are basically Canada. That's just, you know, it was literally on on the other side of the pond and um, in a very small, very rural area. And we had um, a farmhouse. We called it the farm, but we didn't really have a working farm. We had three German shepherds, five cats, a couple of ducks, you know, but we weren't, you know, we, and a garden, you know. Um, so it was very idyllic. Um, my father, as I mentioned, was a poet and a professor. And my mom taught English at the local high school there. And she's, she is also an actor and a director and a writer. So it was a lot of, um, a lot of the arts, growing up a lot with the arts, which was beautiful. Um, and we had, I think it was like 40 acres of wooded land to play on and run around with our German shepherds. And so from my memory of childhood, um, it was pretty idyllic, you know? Um, yeah, yeah conflicts within the family as happens in any family, but, um, sorry, my cats are joining me. So, <laughs> um, the... But yeah, for me, it was great. There was a lot of, you know, this, of course, this is pre-computer days. And um, we were actually only allowed to watch an hour of television a day. So there was a lot of playtime, a lot of solitude. Um, my favorite gift I got when I was a kid for Christmas was a tape recorder. And um, I would make little radio shows uh, that no one was ever going to hear. <laughs> and I had I spent hours and hours doing that, and and I'm sure that's that's what led me to eventually create my podcast. You know how it is fun to have your own show, and um, yeah, so that started back then. And um, you know, because we were in such a rural area, there weren't there wasn't a lot of uh, playing with other kids, um, but. I had some friends from school and it was fun to get to hang out with them, but overall beautiful, you know, and then my parents, um, divorced when I was just on the cusp of 14 mm -hmm. and we moved into Brockport. So we moved from this rural area of, it was Kendall, New York, and we moved to, to Brockport 
And while I was really unhappy that my parents had divorced, and actually more unhappy about having to get rid of all of our animals, um, I was 14, so I was psyched. I was like, we were moving into like a college town where there was a movie theater and a, you know you could walk to the grocery store and I was getting a little bit of that sense of independence. So, um, so I, uh, and I started high school um, in a brand new school. So the first year, my, my freshman year of high school, I was a bit of a wallflower, like I didn't know anybody. But then I got involved in the radio club and uh, met some great weirdos who are still my friends today. We started a Monty Python appreciation group, you know what I mean? Cool. And, yeah, and we and I just developed some beautiful friends. And then by 10th, 10th 11th grade, I, I got in, involved with a, another fantastic group of misfits. And, you know, I got into drama and all of that. And and again, a lot of my high school friends are, are still very close to me today, which I think is just such a blessing. Um, and... Yeah, so that was my my youth. I don't know where you want to stop. <laughs> but, well, you know, whatever, yeah, whatever, whatever works is fine. Um, what I'm looking for is I'm just kind of wanting to kind of approach how you came into your being and the things that led to you discovering your purpose in life and uh, how we get to the place where you are today. That's kind of what I'm after. Um, so let me ask you this question. When was the first time in your life that you recollect actually realizing that you had a purpose in the world? Oh, early, early, early on. Um, when I was very little, um, I, as I said, I spent a lot of time outdoors and spent a lot of time alone and um, very deeply connecting to trees to animals, to, um, you know, the, the raspberry bushes outside of our house and the bees, you know. So I was always interacting with, with nature. And, um, and I, I think I had a very early calling, I guess, if you want to call it that, to, to help other people and to, to be of service. And I knew that very, you know, when I was still in single digits of my life. And um, and that has certainly carried through my entire life, um, connecting with other people um, while still being an introvert, if that makes sense. You know, um, not... No, it, it makes no sense, actually, but I love it. <laughs> yeah, I it's like I don't like people at all, but I love them, you know? <laughs> I think the introverted part of it is because I did my best work in solitude and that has carried into my adult life. Um, I, while I care deeply about humanity because I do believe we're all interconnected. Um, but I, I consider my family also to be, as I said, the trees, the plants, the rocks, the animals, the, you know, the weather, it's all connected. So, um, when I do spend time with people, um, I, I do it in small chunks and I take the time in solitude to recharge, but my, my devotion to humanity is, is what motivates me because I do see the best in everyone. It's a gift that I've had since I was very little. I can look at someone who's being a real jerk 
and I can see straight through to who they really are. And and that's gotten me in trouble a few times because I would assume the best of someone who was not not there yet, and I would get hurt in the process. But um, but I, over over the decades and over my you know my life of experience, I've been able to discern you know how to create and healthy boundaries and how to still love people without getting all up in their business. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, would you consider yourself an empath? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Always have been. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. And how did you, um, just kind of fast forwarding in whatever manner that you're most comfortable, um, how did you get into what you're doing now? And can you tell us what it is that you do for a living? Sure. So as I mentioned, I started in the arts. I started first as a writer and then as, as an actor. Um, and the, the theme there, as I mentioned, was connection communication and connection with other people i wanted i i wanted to help people to feel things or see their lives in a different way um and as i got older um and you know the 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 acting the industry the that didn't really speak to me that it was too plastic too surface I was asked to be things um, or to behave in a way that I didn't think was ethical. Um, and it, and so um, I, I did my best to sort of change the system, uh, change the status, status quo. So if I couldn't get work as, as an actor, and I, I was good at what I did, but I for some reason wasn't getting work, so I just started my own theater company, and then then I was able to do what I loved. So I, I'm the kind of person who, who will, you know, take the lemons and make them lemonade. Yeah. Um, but fast forward, you know, and I'm still I still do voiceovers, so I still have that as part of my acting life, I guess if you want to call it that. Uh, and I'm still a writer, so those two careers that that launched me toward where I am now are still there. But I began to realize I'm not reaching as many people as I want to, and I'm not helping in the way that I want to help or serving in the way that I want to serve. So um, shortly after my son was born, I decided to go back to school and become a life coach, uh, and which I did in 2012. And I started my uh, a, a wellness practice, let's say. I did life coaching. I did hypnotherapy. Um, and some some other modalities, uh, but again, what I what I began to realize is I wanted to know more about my clients. I wanted to go deeper into their lives, and that was dangerously treading into therapy, which is illegal. You can't practice psychotherapy if you don't have a license. So I went, all right, I guess I better go back to school. And so I got my master's in marriage and family therapy and started a private practice, uh, which, so I got licensed in um, 2020, but I've been practicing, well, technically I got licensed in 2016, and then I started my private practice with my own private license in 2020. And, um, but I've been working with clients in this healing capacity. Um, I'm also a shamanic practitioner, so I've been using shamanic healing or whatever is needed for a client. Um, since 2012 and so where I am now is that 
predominantly I, I practice holistic psychotherapy. So I work with mind, body, and spirit. And I refer to myself as a self-specialist because, again, I want people to know how powerful they are and how much strength they have. And what blocks them from seeing that is the childhood trauma and is the, you know, the, the things that stop them, the messages they've received uh, throughout their life. That's, that prevents them to, from stepping into their true self. And so I've made it my mission one by one, or I teach classes as well, so class by class, uh, gathering as many people to help elevate them to see how amazing they are, not just so that they can live their best life, which is fantastic, but what are you going to do once you've achieved your best life? If it stops there, then that's not really helping humanity. My, my main goal in the work that I do is to get people to live their best lives, but then to share their wisdom, to go out and, and be ambassadors of centeredness, if you will. Um, so I work predominantly, I work with, with all genders and all ages, but my my specialty or the people who come to me most are usually women in their 30s who are approaching midlife and then women who are in midlife. Um, and so I help usher the women in their 30s into midlife so they don't have to be afraid of aging. Uh, and then the women who are already in midlife, I help them just polish the gem of who they are so that they can become the wisdom sharers that they are being called to be at this age, uh, at this stage of life. Interesting. Interesting. Wow. Um, so you get a lot of joy from that. A lot. Yeah, I love it. Absolutely love cool. it. Yeah. How did you first get started? Uh, with with which? Oh, Sorry. with your with your career. Yeah, I, I started as the as a life coach, and then and then went back to school to become a therapist, and, and oh, as oh, I, yeah. just a natural progression. Yeah. And, um, yeah. You just kind of wanted to see where the path would take you. Right. And as I started practicing and, and began to notice what, what people were having trouble with in their lives, what were they coming to me to, uh, to work on, I began to realize that people have lost connection with their, with their deepest, highest self, you know, the, the, the true being that they are, um, and, and I thought, well, you know, this is a really good focus is to help people to to find out who they truly are away from what society expects of them, away from the roles and labels that they've been given or have taken on themselves and really drop in and be be able to use their own guidance, their own bodies, their own minds, their own spirits to develop that person for the purpose of giving back to to humanity absolutely yeah and it keeps the positive energy flowing and that problem i would say is even more compounded today wouldn't you agree oh absolutely i mean i think that without getting political i think that a lot of this the stress that we see a lot of the division that we see in humanity comes from a lack of understanding true self you know there's a there's a beautiful quote that just came out recently i don't know if you know bob thurman robert thurman who is a buddhist uh, teacher 
Probably, um, you know, I'm not familiar personally. Yeah. Well, he said, and this quote came out recently because of all the crazy things going on right now, but he said, when you understand interconnectedness, it makes you more afraid of hating than of dying. Wow. Yeah. And, and I'm guessing that part of that stems from the fact that we have energy that um, generates and, you know, trans transforms and does all kinds of things that people aren't even aware, but our thoughts create energy, wouldn't you? Oh, absolutely. Agree? Yeah. Yeah, that's science. That's science. That's quantum physics right there. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, it, it's fascinating to me and, and really just, you know, not understanding it before and all those years, you know, spent with, uh, you know, negative emotions and different things. Um, you know, I don't know what I was thinking, but I think a lot of people don't realize it. And sometimes it, it can affect your health in a negative way, of course. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's a big one right there. Um, are you familiar with the water experiment? Just the experiments? I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not sure that I am. Oh, man. Yeah, you got to check that out. You'll really enjoy it. The water experiments um, are really neat. This um, doctor, scientist, guy, he is a fascinating individual. And he figured out that if you... Um, focus your energy and intent um, on a droplet of water, it will transform and change the way that that droplet, um, you know, appears. And so it actually created, you know, evidence of um, interaction between emotion and, and water or matter. And mm -hmm. um, the idea behind it really was to illustrate this. Like, so if you have uh, little Petri dishes left to right, let's just make it simple. And on the left side, we've got love. In the middle, we've got, you know, beauty. And then in the far middle, in the direct middle, let's say it's neutral. And then um, let's go to the right. And you have ugly, you know, and then hate. So it goes from a scale of love to hate, basically. Mm -hmm. So if you think of it that way, it was interesting how it worked. And wait till you see the images of this. There's videos on YouTube and lots of things online you'll find. But really, um, the most amazing thing was when you love and when you intend and focus on love and uh, he flash froze these droplets of water and captured them under a microscope to see what they were and how it looked and everything. And it would literally be like the most amazing, beautiful uh, image with perfect symmetry and amazing detail like a snowflake, you know. And then as you move to the right into the hate, it, it uh, lacked definition, became void of any type of definition. And then finally on the hate side, it was downright ugly. <laughs> and so what he realized is that, you know, water stores energy and matter and we put out this energy with our thoughts. And so, you know, just kind of taking it a step further and this might actually apply to some of the things that you do and be a tool to use in your teaching and education but um you know water stores energy and 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 that's really important because we're my we're mostly water beings you know so mm -hmm. like if our body is made up of this fluid that stores and you know holds energy from our thoughts we better be careful what we're feeding it you know oh yeah yeah um, absolutely that was it and and the rice experiment was another one have you heard of that one no, I have oh, not. Two two gems for you. Um, this is going to be great. Like if you explore these things, you'll be able to relate and see in your own way the mm -hmm. beauty and majesty of of just another dimension of what you're already engaged in, really. But the rice experiment's even more simple. Um, two mason jars, 
cook some rice, let it cool, put the exact amounts in each mason jar, close it up. On one, you write love and tape it to the bottle. On the other, you write hate and tape it to the bottle. And then you put each of these in a dark environment. It'll be a 30-day experiment. And basically, each morning, you go to the love jar and I love you, I love you, I love you. And then you go to the hate jar and you keep them separate in different areas. But um, you say, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. You know, and every day you direct love on one jar and you direct hate on the other. And man, it's really fascinating because you'll see a lot of these results and you can do it yourself um, to see how it works. But um, everybody that has shown their results of this particular experiment, the love jar after 30 days is still white and it looks like you could, you know, probably eat it. Who knows what it would taste like, but um, <laughs> it's lean and pure still. And the hate jar is uh, moldy and, and black and gross, you know, and no. again, another fascinating interaction with uh, energy and, you know, we're, we're human. So clearly we're far from perfect, but, you know, it would seem that over all these years we would be able to understand, you know, this basic premise that thoughts and feelings do create energy and they can, they can lift us up or they can tear us down. And also it works with other people, you know, so you pick up on other people's energy you don't have to be an empath to do that. It's a natural process. Um, but, you know, if you're an empath, especially, it makes it even harder, I think, to be around certain things and then also of course more elevating to be around positive things um but really fascinating you know and it, it just adds credence to the idea that we really need to you know exercise more love and kindness and all the positive things that make us you know like you said you know supporting humanity and doing things that are positive and that negative stuff can really 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 drag us down if we're not careful Absolutely. Yeah, that's fascinating. I, I may have actually heard of the, the I, for some reason, I'm having a, an image of seeing that maybe on social media, the rice experiment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's all fascinating. And of course, it makes perfect sense, you know, um, that, and, and sometimes it is, on, and, and often it is on a quantum level in a way that we can't see, but we see it manifested. And we all know people who see life predominantly positively and their lives go relatively well. Even when things go wrong, they, they're not necessarily like spiritually bypassing or, you know, being fake about, yeah, no, it's all good. It's all good. But they, they can see, um, they, they, they have resilience in, in moments of stress because they're looking at the larger picture and they're not taking things personally right so when something happens why did this happen to me well we all have things that happen to us you know how are we going to uh take what has come our way and turn it into something that would be uh more productive or or um i, I hate to use the word positive because i don't want to judge it in that way but something that that would be more helpful for us in our lives and and for others and I know we, we kind of just touched the uh, surface of this a bit, but if there was someone listening now who struggles with this type of thing and is constantly negative or, or is just kind of struggling over and over and over again and not really sure why, what would you say to that person to help them kind of become aware and tuned into something, you know, dare I say, more positive <laughs> and productive? Yeah. Um, well, 
first of all, it's it's understanding that we have a tendency to pathologize ourselves. We have a tendency to make ourselves feel bad about how we're feeling. If we have a problem, we think there's something wrong with us or that we're broken. So the first step is to to eliminate that. Think of think of your let's say your negative thoughts as uh, the way that I refer to it is it's a light on the dashboard going off. So if your light on your dashboard in your car goes off and it says you have to check your oil, you don't say that the car is broken, right? You don't say, oh, yeah, pull it off to the side of the road and get rid of it because the light went off. No, you go and get your oil changed. Mm-hmm. So with our lives, when when we're feeling down, when we're feeling um, you know, broken, that's really our internal system saying, hey, something's offline. So let's go check out what's offline. So if we strip away the judgment of our feelings and just allow the feelings to guide us to where we need to go. So for example, if I'm feeling, if I'm looking at the world in a negative way, I have no friends, I lost my job, you know, whatever, my boyfriend, girlfriend doesn't like me, uh, whatever it is, my mother hates me. Um, we can say, wow, so if we don't judge that, but we just say, wow, that's a lot that we're holding. What can I do? Um, where, where you know, get, get quiet, get into your body. Like, where are you being guided to go? I might need to get some help from a counselor. I might need to start a meditation practice. I might, you know, it's very hard to do like really deep work on your own. So I always recommend get some help, get some help. Because we, trust me, as an introvert and a very highly uh, productive person myself, I tried for years to do everything on my own, and it's just not possible. Um, it's also one of the reasons why I do what I do, because I want to be there for people in a non-judgmental way. So the first thing to do is stop pathologizing yourself, stop thinking you're broken or that your problems are trying to trip you up or that you'll never get out of them. All it is is the light on the dashboard of your psyche or your spirit going, um, hello, we're out of alignment. We need to do something here. So stop judging yourself and and do whatever it takes to to take that next step toward fixing what needs to or adjusting what needs to be done. Fixing implies brokenness, so I apologize for that word. But um, okay, but to realign yourself because we are not put here to fail creation however you call creation whether it's a science perspective or or a spiritual perspective and they're they're crossing over anyway beautifully uh but but we are not put here to fail and i don't mean that in a in a monetary way or in a career path way uh we're here to thrive as living beings so, and, and this is the other point. If you have a lot of negative thoughts, keep in mind what a blessing that is because you're being told, hey, something's not right. So you, if you don't identify with your pain, but rather see it as a guide that's helping you to get out of the pain, then you're already on, on the right step. So for example, if you're depressed, the fact that you know you're depressed means that there's some part of you that says this ain't right. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's the part you want to listen to. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. How would you say a higher power plays into this? Is it possible to be an atheist and still work through all these things or an agnostic? Or is it necessary to have something outside of yourself to to have faith in some sort of connection with universal source or God or Jesus or Buddha or whoever it is? Like, how do you think that relates? Well, we don't know how. Okay, so let's say I'm I'm agnostic, or I'm even atheist, or I'm, or I'm you know a, a secular humanist, or whatever. Um, as far as we know, we don't have an answer for the Big Bang. We don't know how it happened, and we know that nothingness, which is where it all came from, is also a great mystery. So that's enough for me. That's enough for me to say if you want to call that your higher power, there's a great big question mark, a beautiful mystery that from which we all come. And let's just sit in awe of that and you don't even have to call it anything, right? It's not the same. It's not the same as uh, an organized religion, which really, uh, I think, tries to force the, that great mystery into a pinpoint and say, this is it. And unfortunately, that ain't it, you know? It, it is a pathway to great mystery or great spirit. But even if you, all you believe in is science, there's enough amazing mystery there. So again, if you're having problems or if you feel out of alignment, that's not a spiritual thing. That, that is a, a physiological thing that, that you are not. So when I talk about your highest self, I'm really talking about your, your capital S self, the self that was put on here to function smoothly. So when we're born, we don't have these issues where, you know, we're, we don't have the, the traumas or we don't have the negative experiences that affect us as we get older. So that's, I guess you could say your, your highest self is part of that little baby psyche. Um, so you were there once. You don't have to believe in anything. You can know that you're being held because here you are. You know, I know that sounds a bit lofty, but but you don't have to believe in anything at all uh, to understand that this is a physiological thing. You know, your your automatic nervous system is in a stress state. Then that's what you work with. Anxiety is not mental. It's physiological. And we're getting into a whole different other thing, right? With, with the vagus nerve and, you know, we are put into a state of fight or flight. That's what needs to be calmed so that our mind can relax, right? That's That doesn't involve God necessarily. Mm -hmm. And do you think it can be helpful, um, especially to some people who might struggle, like to have that higher power and belief? Is that supportive of these types of dynamics or do you think it's separate? Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure I understand the question. Like, uh, if you believe in a higher power, or let's say for me, I'm a Christian, I believe in God and Jesus and all that, um, you know, is that um, a tool in the toolbox of attaining this enlightenment and connectedness with, you know, the things that are, you know, productive and harmonious, let's say, as opposed to somebody who, you know, just doesn't have any concept of it at all. Do you think that it can be a valuable tool, you know, in the tool set of those things? Absolutely. I mean, when we talk about Christ consciousness, what we're really talking about is that that quantum entanglement, 
Mm -hmm. right? As Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. That's all part of, it's not out there. It's within, and he's like trying to get us to understand that. You know, God made man in his image, not the other way around, mm -hmm. right? So we have this divinity. We have this great mystery within us. No matter what path we choose to follow, it's there. Mm -hmm. If you want to be a Buddhist, fantastic. There, I forgot the number, but there was a, there are like, thir uh, I forgot, 30 million, 38 million gates to Nirvana, as it is said, that uh, there are hundreds of ways to kneel and kiss the earth, as Rumi wrote. It doesn't matter how you get there. All that matters is that you understand whether you choose the science path or the spiritual path. Um, and as I said, they are coming closer and closer together and beginning to interweave, um, thanks to quantum physics. Um, it doesn't matter how you get there. It's the understanding of the interconnectedness of it, you know, whether you call it Christ consciousness or you call it quantum entanglement. Very cool. And I noticed you said that word a few times. It times interconnectedness is that one of the key realities of the whole picture of being human absolutely it's 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 one of the things that like a tree doesn't have to know that it's interconnected with the with the mycelium underneath it, at its roots it doesn't need to talk about it it doesn't need to have a podcast about it it just lives oh, that no. way unfortunately our brains um are, are so big and take in so much information, we forget uh, and we need to be reminded uh, that we are constantly in communication. As you were speaking about earlier, you know, this, this, whether we're communicating with water or rice or the leaves on the ground or our pets at home um, or your loved ones or your colleagues, right? It, it doesn't matter talking to our cars why won't you start <laughs> and you know whatever it is we are constantly in communication with everything around us and um it, it helps to to remember that very yeah. cool very cool i'm um, kind of a strange question but i'm curious um and we're almost out of time but if we need to go over a few minutes it's not a problem just so you know um but i had uh, a pretty like I, I grew up developmentally disabled and I was a troubled child. And so I think there's some kind of a chemical imbalance, they call it, you know, and blah, 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 blah. I was hyperactive and all that. Never in trouble like a criminal or anything, but just difficult, you know, and I struggled a lot with different things and, you know, caused plenty of uh, upset around me from time to time. <laughs> uh, but as I grew up, you know, um, I noticed like one really powerful experience for me was actually taking LSD in high school and, uh, it changed everything like literally overnight. And, um, it was a powerful, um, asset to me. And I didn't realize, you know, that it was going to be like that. I just did it for fun. And, and it turned out to be like a completely transformational experience. You know, I quit smoking cigarettes. I became a vegetarian literally the next day. And, um, everything just kind of changed in how I looked at the world and that stuck with me. Um, and without, you know, and I'm not promoting drug use or anything like that, but there's, you know, some people that believe microdosing, and, you know, there's even people I've had on the show that, uh, utilize, uh, psychedelic drugs and applying, you know, um, therapy to, to people's lives to get over trauma and PTSD. Do you, do you concur with that type of philosophy that there's a uh, possible, you know, connection and uh, how those types of uh, 
you know, substances can help us to access or, 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 you know, speed up, if you will, or even open the door to these different uh, realities that we're talking about. Yeah, and, th and there is a there is definitely a multi level answer to that. Um, the so what you experienced uh, is is can be definitely the psychedelics are or plant medicine or earth medicine. It, it can be extremely beneficial uh, for people who are sort of stuck, right? Uh, because what it does is it it opens up those channels and and reinforces that interconnectedness feeling which is why for example psilocybin treatments are given to um, terminally ill patients and many many report at the end of these treatments that they no longer fear death that is predominantly because they now have experienced such interconnectedness that whether we're in this plane or we are just part of the great mystery collective once again um that it's all it's all good it's okay so there are a couple of caveats um we have to remember that that it is medicine right and so we don't walk around taking antibiotics if we don't need them when we have reverence again like even for for the food we eat when we have reverence for the plant medicine and we're using it with serious intention um it it is it can be extremely illuminating and supportive and we don't need to do it a lot right you had you had one experience and it and it profoundly affected you for the better and that's wonderful um when people go in with an intention i know you didn't go in with an intention so that's that's fantastic that you experienced what you did um but when we go in with intention it really helps us to focus on what it is that um we need help with by asking that medicine or the, the spirit of the, the medicine to help us but what's also ex really really important is the experience of the journey is one thing but once you're back here there are two other very very important steps which is process processing and integration you have the journey you have all these wild experiences but if you don't come back and process them i.e make sense of them um and understand the symbols that were given to you and then integrate that new awareness into your daily life in some way um, an experience, particularly a very heavy psychedelic experience, can be uh, maddening, can actually cause more harm. So a lot of people will say, yeah, I, I did a bunch of mushrooms and I freaked out. Or ayahuasca, they have an ayahuasca trip they can't make sense of. I've worked with clients who are still suffering PTSD from their ayahuasca experience because there was no one there to help them process and integrate what they were given you know you ask the spirit of the medicine for something you got it now you got to make sense of it right so there, there's that aspect of it um and then the second part of it is uh not to rely on it as a lifestyle because it's not meant to be used that way right it's it's not necessarily i mean microdosing i get it and 
studies are out and I know that it definitely works for a lot of people, certainly better than um, pills, antidepressants, yeah, you know, the psychopharmaceuticals, uh, because it's nature and, and you know, uh, even cannabis. Um, so I don't want to say I don't agree with microdosing, but I think that um, it depends on the person. Mm-hmm. And again, if you're doing it with intention and awareness, because even with microdosing, you don't do it every day. You do it, you know, whatever, three to five days, and then you take a break, right? Or through every other day or whatever it is. I don't, I've not done it, but I studied it for a little bit, right? So you're not microdosing every single day of your life. You're taking breaks. And again, ideally during that time, you're processing and integrating what shifts are being made um, uh, based on what the plants are giving you. But we can't forget all of this great stuff is already within us. All that medicine is doing is bringing it out, right? So it's already there. It's sort of like taking the express train, right? Um, or you can take the nice slow walk. It's either way, you're going to get there. So I don't want people to think that you need the psychedelics, right? You could do it with long-term counseling, therapy, spiritual counseling, whatever it is, meditation, uh, there, are, there are many different ways to get where you want to go. Right on. Right on. And we are getting a little bit close. Let's talk a little bit more about how you can actually help people who are listening now. And I'd like to give them a little taste of what they have to look forward to if they reach out to you. What, what happens when somebody connects with you for the first time? Well, uh, they can reach me by phone or by email, and I respond right away and um we chat we just chat what are you looking for what do you need one thing about the therapy and the coaching that i do is um uh it can be one session or it can be weekly or it can be bi-weekly or once a month what matters is that everyone knows i'm here for you if you're working on a specific issue then we might just meet once or we might meet for a month once a week or whatever uh, but we'll get you where you need to go. So it's very, it's very personal. And I, I lock into what you are working on because again, my purpose is to get you elevated to, so that you can go out and be, um, the most amazing person you can be and vibrate that energy out into collective consciousness. That's what we're all here for. So, uh, yeah, people can reach out and, um, and there's no pressure. I think that's the point. You know, when you work with therapists, sometimes they want you to see you. You know, you think you're signing up for once a week for the rest of your life. Sometimes we can get through a lot of stuff in one session or two or, you know, but it's entirely up to the person. Very cool. Very cool. And um, is there any particular type of person that you work with or do you work with pretty much anyone? Yeah, as, as I mentioned, I work with all genders, all ages. Um my specialty, I suppose you would say, would be women approaching midlife or women in midlife. That's because that's been my personal experience. But I work with with everyone. You know, anyone. the The main focus is the the desire to to develop, just to discover and honor, develop their highest self. And that's, that's really, so anyone who wants to do that and is finding that they have a block that's stopping them from getting there, that's what I can help you with. Awesome. And I noticed some letters after your name, but I'm not familiar with what they mean. What does LMFT stand for? 
licensed marriage and family therapist. Okay, great. Well, clearly I've never been married, so that's probably why I don't know that. <laughs> yeah, I work with couples as well, so. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. And that's a really great idea, actually, because um, they can take it back and, you know, utilize it between themselves and all that. Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. What, yeah. What, what, when I work, yeah. When I work with couples, that's exactly it. I work with you as a team, but I also work with you individually. So That's so cool. Very cool. And I always like to wrap up by asking this question. Is there anything that we might have missed? I know there's a lot of information in different directions that we could have gone. And um, Is there anything that we might have missed that's on your heart or in your mind that you might like to share with our listeners today? I think just a reminder um, that your problems that you might be experiencing are actually blessings that are pointing you toward where you need to go. So just listen, listen to yourself and don't judge or, or um, don't, don't feel that you're broken. You have a lot of power. Each one of us is invested with, with a tremendous amount of, of loving energy and it's there. So get some help if you need it. And, um, and that's for your own benefit, but also for the benefit of, of all beings. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause we do impact the world around us, whether we realize it or not. And honestly, you're speaking to my heart directly with that uh, statement. Cause I think a lot of times we beat ourselves up and, um, you know, when things aren't going right, that that's the first go-to for me. It's like, what's wrong with me? You know, what did I, right. what am I doing wrong? You know? Right. Right. And that's such a, that that'll trip you up right away as opposed to, uh Oh, my light on my dashboard went off. I better go see a specialist, you know, I better go figure this out instead of the judgment part. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Do you think that modern therapy or uh, clinical counseling and, you know, uh, ordinary therapists, if you will, versus like a spiritual counselor, do you think that there's a difference in how those two types of uh, approaches can work? Or do you think it just really depends on the type of person that's approaching the, the, the situation? Yeah, it, it does depend on the practitioner and it and it does depend on um, the 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 school of thought that's being shared with with the client. And and uh, so I can't say one is better than the other. Not that that's necessarily what you're asking, but um, mm -hmm. but you what you want is who, whoever you're working with is to make sure that you feel well held, make sure that you feel like you're not being um not being told what to do but rather are taking an active part you and your counselor are taking an active part in in your well-being so you know just avoid gurus <laughs> avoid people who are egomaniacs who just want to tell you this is how you need to live mm -hmm. um obviously you want your counselor whether it's a spiritual counselor or a therapist to have some knowledge and experience for sure, because that's why you're working with them. Um, but it really should be ideally a collaborative experience and someone who's holding you in love. Yeah. Absolutely. That's great advice. Rachel, what a great share. Thank you for all of this. And how do people reach you? Do you have a website? I do. Um, and it's very easy. It's my name. RachelAstarteTherapy.com. So it's um, Astarte. So it's R-A-C-H-E-L-A-S-T-A-R-T-E Therapy.com. All one word. Um, 
and uh, that's the best way to reach me. I'm I'm on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube and all those things. But on Instagram and Facebook, I'm at Rachel Astarte Therapy. So it's pretty easy to remember. Very cool. Yeah, be, <laughs> it's good that you don't have an ordinary name. You have a very unique name. It's easy to remember that. Um, for a very unique approach and practice. It's really beautiful. I appreciate what you shared today, Rachel. And um, gosh, you know, I'm going to take some of these things into my own life because uh, I need tools from time to time, especially at the holiday season. We're recording this just for the listeners that uh, don't know this. We're recording this on uh, November the 1st, and this episode probably won't air until the middle to end of January, just so you're aware. Um, but I'll let you know. But uh, holidays are a tough time for me and I'm sure for a lot of people. Um, so I'm going to utilize this knowledge and information and leverage it um, to my advantage because uh, I often think that I'm broken and, you know, there's something wrong with me and, you know, it can never be fixed and, you know, doom and gloom mentality. It's terrible, but I know that I'm better than that um, deep inside, you know, and I appreciate this reminder, honestly, on a personal level. Um you know, but I hope our listeners get something of it too, because I know that I'm not alone. You know, yeah, and, and the new year is a is a great time to make some changes. Exactly right, absolutely. So it's a good time to jump in there. It's not just the first quarter in business; it's the first quarter of our year. You know, and and That's it's right. good to look at it that way and just start it off with a very positive um, change. You know, definitely. Well, I just want to thank you, Rachel, for being with us today and sharing all of this wonderful information. And I'd like to encourage the listeners that are hearing to reach out to Rachel Astarte and uh, see what can be done and uh, make a more positive change in your life. Thank you so much, Todd. It's my pleasure. I really, really want to thank you again for being here with us. Thank you for tuning in to the Toddcast Show. If you found today's episode helpful and meaningful, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on what's next. Remember that the Toddcast show is all about community and connection. So follow the podcast on your preferred social platform to keep updated on everything I've got in store. Also check out toddcastshow.com to find out more and stay connected with me, Todd Mira. Be sure to tell your friends and family about the Toddcast show so the podcast family can continue to grow and share on an international level. See you over on the next episode. Hi, I'm Todd Mira, host of the Toddcast show, and I want to share something personal with you today. Throughout my own life, I've struggled with issues I didn't even realize I had. Things like depression, past trauma, PTSD, and feeling disconnected from the people I loved the most. It took me hitting rock bottom to realize I couldn't fix myself alone. I needed help to unravel the tangled knots within my life, find myself again, and become stronger in the areas I was weakest. It wasn't an overnight transformation, but with time, I learned to change my thinking, my attitudes, and my entire paradigm for the better. I learned that it's good to ask for help, and that's why I want to tell you about our sponsor, BetterHelp.
Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of the Toddcast Show. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and the best part, it's 100% online. You can participate from anywhere, anytime that works for you. It's simple to get started. Simply answer a few questions about your specific needs and personal preferences in therapy, and BetterHelp will match you with the perfect therapist from their network. It's really that easy. You can message your therapist anytime you need support and schedule a live session when it's convenient for you. BetterHelp is committed to ensuring that you find the perfect match to guide you along your journey to well-being. As someone who went through therapy and came out way ahead of where I started, I want to invite you to take this step to a healthier, happier you today. My life was transformed through therapy, and yours can be too. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you'd expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is hand-picked for you, all at a shockingly affordable price. And as a special offer for our listeners, you'll get 10% off your first month by using the special link, betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast. That's betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast. You don't have to face life's challenges alone. BetterHelp is here to support you through the big and small issues of your life in a way that can really make a huge difference, both short and long term. Take the first step towards a healthier, happier you. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast to get started today.